know that uh, tonight I ask you to come and, and you have come at just my request, not really knowing what we're doing. Just know that I've challenged you that if you want to hear the heart of the Father, if you want to see what the New Testament church looks like, if you want to know what we're moving into in the future, I wanted you to be here tonight. And so thank you for being here with us on tonight. Uh, I uh, believe that we are living in the end of times. I believe that there is uh, shiftings that are taking place. Uh, we see them in the natural, of course. You would have to be ignorant not to see the signs all around us. We don't live by signs, but we don't ignore signs, right? Um, but I also have an understanding that in these last days that it isn't just going to be troubled times, but it's going to be good. I told the staff the other day that however this thing winds up, it's going to be good for the church. It's going to be good for the church. And so, and, and I have shared with you, and I hope that you've heard my heart, that, that some of, I've shown, expressed some of my heart uh, in my preaching and messages, but these are shifting times, they're changing times, and in pastoring, it is difficult to maneuver through all of that and, and trying to hear the heart of God and also uh, being relevant, but not being just uh, faddish because fads come and they go but we have to be relevant to touch people where they are so tonight what I, I say to you uh, there are many things that God has put in my spirit but this is just one of those pieces and we're we are we are going into um, this fall Ablaze. We're going to see some great things. We ask God at the beginning of the year, those who are here for prayer time, we ask God for uh, 200 people to be saved this year. And uh, we have about 98 of them so far. And so that means we... <clears throat> so, yes. And so that means that we have 101 more people to get saved before the end of the year, right? Um but here's my concern in my heart, and, and this is why we're here tonight, is that the Great Commission is not to go win souls. The Great Commission is to make disciples. And my concern for the American church and my concern as whole as pastoring these years now is that, that we get a lot of folks saved, but we don't have any discipleship people are not coming into the fullness of the measure they're not coming in you know he said that we are to raise up spiritual sons and daughters we are to to develop people and and, and then there isn't a whole lot of that going on and um, someone told me one time <laughs> uh, individual that we had in to to uh, kind of look at things and help us out. I don't know if it was supposed to be a, a um, compliment or if it was supposed to be something negative, but he told me, he said, you ain't the brightest man I've ever met. <laughs> but he said, I'll give you this. He said, you learned how to, you learned how to put people around you in your weak places. And uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> 
But what I do know is this. I know that God hasn't called any one person to build a church. But he's called a team to build a church. And not even just to build a church, but to build his kingdom. And so uh, with that in mind and with that being said, uh, I've asked uh, Debbie Rome to come and to speak to us tonight about discipleship. Uh, Most of the guest speakers that I have come to this uh, place and to minister to us are out of relationship. I believe I am a believer in relationship. But the Bible doesn't tell us that you shall know a person by their gifts. He said you shall know them by the fruit. And uh, Debbie didn't even know that I knew her, but... I've watched from afar and a distance. She's from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, she has been there at Twin Rivers Worship Center. And uh, went when she went there, there was no discipleship uh, to speak of as far as the level that uh, we desire to have, and, the, and that church desires to have, and that's the reason why she was hired. But she she has uh, the gifts that God has given her has enabled her to develop strong discipleships into that church and so uh, it's become a part of their DNA and so that's what I desire that's what I I, I desire and so I believe we have a great church I believe that God is blessing us we're getting people saved but I I, in here and I don't want to preach and don't want to take her time tonight but I I am convinced if I haven't convinced you yet I am convinced Richard that there is more than a revival, but there's a great awakening coming. And the church has to raise up the disciples so that we can be able to take care of the harvest that's about to come in. Amen. Now don't think for one minute that ICE is planning on staying in Iraq and Saudi Arabia. They've got a highway into United States of America. And we've got to have strong people that know their God. That know their God. So whenever they say to us, are you a child of God? With a knife or machete in their hand, we can say with confidence, I know in whom I have believed. So that's what I desire. That's what I'm believing God for. And so I've asked Debbie to come, not out of our relationship, but out of the fruit that I've seen in her life and in her ministry. And so she is going to come and speak to us tonight because I believe that one of the missing pieces in America uh, for us being healthy churches is discipleship. And I'll go as far to say that the body of Christ is dealing with a lot of childish issues today because of a lack of discipleship. Amen. And so we're going to just go into this tonight for a little bit. And uh, I just um, believe that we as Pentecostal circles know a lot about Acts, the first part of the chapter of Acts 2, but we don't know very much about Acts 2, the end. Amen. And so it began with fire, but after they got the fire, they had another component. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Would you help me welcome Debbie Rome tonight? (laughs) 
God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's good to be in West Virginia. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You all are some of the friendliest people I have ever met. And I mean that. I mean that. I was telling this sister, I was sitting next to her, I said, you guys are some of the friendliest people I've ever met. And so you have made us so welcome here. And I'll tell you, you, you guys are being positioned for greatness. You really are. You're just scratching the surface. And I'll tell you this much, in talking with Pastor today, talking with Stacy, I'll tell you that when a church leadership has a heart to take the people higher, and it's not about numbers, but it's about people really being set free and on fire for God, God will add to this church. That is when they will start coming. And Pastor said something so critical, and it's this, that when you get something in place is when he will send them. How many of you know not, God's not going to send people to us until we're ready for him? And so it's about getting ready, and it's about being on assignment for the Lord. So I just want to ask you to think tonight, are you ready to be on assignment for the Lord, to be on assignment for the King? I want to open with prayer tonight. Uh, as you heard Pastor say, we're from St. Louis. We have a lot of turmoil going on in St. Louis, as you've seen on the news. We need to pray for our city. We need to pray for all of our cities. But we have Christians right now in the Middle East that have been on a mountain for almost two weeks without food that are being persecuted and being killed for their faith. And we would be amiss if we gathered as a body and we didn't lift them up. So let's pray right now. Father God, Lord, I thank you that you are strengthening our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, Lord. God, our brothers and sisters all over this nation that are being persecuted for their faith, that guns are being held to their head. God, there's machetes being held to their necks. God, their children are being massacred in front of them. Give them strength, Jesus. God, just like the martyr Stephen let them lift their eyes up and see you Jesus standing at the right hand of the father and give them confidence God in whom it is they serve and Lord I thank you that they would have bravery and courage that they would be strengthened in the spirit and God right now I thank you that you're just flowing across our cities Lord I thank you that where there's unrest in St. Louis and other cities across America God that you are saying peace peace be still and Lord, thank you that you have us on assignment and that we're your ambassadors. And Lord, we thank you for the people of God tonight. God, protect us. But God, more than anything, grow us up in you, Lord, so that we're ready for anything. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you have ever read the book of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or now we call it Chronicles of Narnia, you remember when Narnia came out? There was a scene in that movie or, or a part in that book where Lucy had not seen Aslan for quite a while. It had been a few years. And when she saw him again, she said, you're bigger. And his comment to her was, well, that's because you're older, little one. And she said, not because you're older. And he said, no, I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And you know, I want to find my God bigger today than he was yesterday. And the way that we find God to be bigger is when we're on assignment for him. I have learned that on this Christian journey, when I'm about God's business, he shows up. I find that when I'm not just about Debbie's business and I'm about the father's business, that my God becomes bigger. So tonight I want to talk to you about the assignment, what it means to be on assignment for God. I will start by saying this. You have an assignment. How many of you know that? 
You were created for something. You have an assignment from the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah, before he was even born, it was prophesied of him before you, before you were even formed in the womb. I knew you. I knew you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Do you know, church, before you were born, God said, I have an assignment for you in 2014. And I've been thinking about it for a couple thousand years. And pretty soon I'm going to have you on assignment for the kingdom. And I want you to be ready for whatever it is that I have for you. I have also learned this being on this journey for quite some time now as a Christian, that if I do not take my assignment, God will give it to somebody else. Come on, somebody. God's work will be accomplished. And if not this church, he will find another one in this city that will do it. How many of you want to say, God, we want to be the church that in West Virginia, in our city, come on, in our city, God, we want to be the church. We want to be the city on a hill. We want to be light to our church. I love the testimony of Creflo Dollar. He talks about when God called him to that church in Atlanta. I mean, this is a massive church. When the Lord called him to pastor that church, he said this to him, you were not my first choice. Now, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. It's kind of like, should I be complimented because I at least stepped forward or should I be insulted because I'm not your first choice? But either way, there's something to be said for it. He said, but the man who was my first choice would not answer the call. Therefore, I choose you. I have a friend that I have known for several years. He was actually one of our staff pastors for some time before he took another position he has a close friend in North Carolina that pastors a large church there. He was in the pulpit on Sunday mornings preaching, and he would notice this man in the very back of the church. And he was an older gentleman, and he would be weeping and weeping. And this happened Sunday after Sunday. And he said, you know, I know my sermons are good and the Holy Spirit's moving, but, I mean, this guy's kind of falling apart. I mean, I need to go check on him. So Sunday after Sunday, he's watching this. So finally, after service one day, he went back and spoke to me. He said, you know, sir, I've seen you here a couple times, and, you know, are you okay? I, you know, I, I just can tell that there's something going on with you. And in that man's hand, he had rolled up some plans and there were plans for a building and he unrolled those plans. And he said, God called me over 10 years ago to plant this church in this city. And I didn't believe it could be done and I didn't do it. And I am sitting in the exact tabernacle that God told me to build. And when he showed him the plans for the church, it was exactly the church that they had built. God called that man, and because that man did not answer, he raised up another. Church, I don't want to miss my assignment for God. We're on assignment for the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you look at the words of Jesus, if you were to actually just do a word study and look at just the words of Jesus in red, here's kind of the two categories that you would find. You're going to find the words that Jesus speaks about how we should be. In other words, I'd call that the fruit of the spirit or your character. In other words, love one another, uh, forgive one another, bear with one another. You know, it's one thing to love people, but to bear with them, I mean, that takes some real sacrifice. It's like you got to really put up with some stuff. But then he also talks about bearing fruit. See, there's fruit of the spirit. That's how I need to be. But then this bearing fruit is what I need to be doing. Or in other words, my mission or my assignment, my God-given talents, my God-given 
assignments. And so tonight we're going to really talk about the second part, which is, are you bearing fruit? I, I love the message translation of Hebrews 12, 12 and 13, because it says this, don't sit around on your hands, no more dragging your feet, clear the path for long distance runners. So no one will step. So no one will trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle, help each other out and run for it. Can I tell you that in the church of America today, we are not helping each other out. Like I believe Jesus intended. We have so much going on in our own lives. We're dealing with so much with us that we're really not out being the disciples that Jesus wants us to be. And he says, you know what guys, if you would just help each other out, you could all run for it together. And so we need to be about the father's business and be clearing the path for long distance runners. They did a research study and they wanted to find out who were the loneliest people in the world. And do you know, they found Americans with as many people as we have, with as much stuff as we have, with as many stores as we have, they found Americans are the loneliest people in the world. That blew me away. And do you know why that is? We have fallen into a materialism trap and the church is no different than the rest of America. What was once front porches is now back decks. Come on, somebody. What was once sitting on the rocking chairs and drinking lemonade and knowing all the kids in their neighborhood is now private fences. When my husband and I were looking to get a house, I'll tell you that the number one thing we were looking for was privacy. And I remember even saying this, I said, I just don't want to have to see my neighbors. I don't want them to see me. I mean, isn't that weird that we think that way? You know, I just want to be private. I don't, I don't want to be outside and them looking at me. You know, I want to be out with my family, having a cookout, but I, I don't want to have to look at them. And if any of you are in real estate, you know that one of the number one selling features now on a home is garages that are in the back of the house. So you literally drive up your driveway, you drive to the back of the house so that you can pull in, get out, unload your groceries, and you never have to see or talk to your neighbors. And the church has bought into that same exact lifestyle as those in the rest of America. And the problem with that is this, we have become a church that's living in isolation. We have become a church that doesn't know our neighbors. And the reason why we're not discipling is we don't know anybody for real. Come on. I don't know some of my neighbor's names. Shame on me. There's a lady that lives two houses down. We've lived in this house a little over three years. We have no idea what her name is. No idea. And we have some neighbors and we know their names, but we've never had them over to eat. Jimmy and Robin, we wave to Jimmy and Robin. We talk about having Jimmy and Robin over, but Jimmy and Robin have never stepped foot in our house. Church, we better start being about the business of Jesus Christ, and we better start getting out there for him. It's going to be sacrifice for us to bear fruit. See, bearing fruit means that I have to prune me and my vine in order for fruit to come. That means I'm going to have to sacrifice something for some fruit to come from my branch. And I love the amplified version of this scripture in Luke 9, 23. He said to all, and if you look that word up in the Greek, it means all. Okay. So all, okay. So that means you, that means me, that means all. If any person wills to come after me, 
Let him deny himself, and I like this part, disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself, deny himself and his own interests, refuse and give up himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living. And look at this. See, we don't like this last part. And if need be, in dying also. Can I just tell you, we're not ready to die for him. You know, we say it all the time. Oh, Lord, I'd die for you. Well, you know, he's just asking you to live for him. You know, what about just live for him? What about just being a little inconvenienced? And it's not just about my schedule and my time and my back deck and my back fence and, and being all to me. And what about the fact that I have to step out and it's sacrifice. The scripture said it's sacrifice. He says, you have to lose sight of your own interests. Can I tell you, when it comes to discipling people on the journey, whether it's a new convert or someone who's been at this for 50 years, but it's just time to grow in our faith together, you're going to have to sacrifice something. And the way that we do that at Twin Rivers and the way my husband do, and I do that is we open our home once a week and we get together with about 15 people. And for two hours, we eat together, we fellowship together, we learn about God together, we pray together, and we care about each other. And I'll tell you, that takes work. That's sacrifice. That's cleaning up my house and getting it ready. You know, that's praying for people. That's spending time with people. That's, that's talking to that person on the phone throughout the week that needs me. I mean, that's time. And can I tell you the reason why? There's two reasons why we're not discipling. Number one, we don't know how. And that's the church's fault. That's our fault. We haven't, we haven't taught people how. Okay, but that's getting ready to change. And number two, the reason why we're not discipling is it's messy. And it takes work. You see, it's easy for me to go to a ladies' ministries event or a men's ministries event or to go to services and things like that. See, that's easy. I get to go and leave. But see, when it comes down to discipling you and meeting with you regularly and sharing my life with you, now see, that's sacrifice. See, that's taking it up a notch. But that's the Acts 2 church that Pastor was talking about. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It said that they came together, they broke bread, they fellowshiped, they prayed together, they had all things in common together. It said the signs and wonders were happening among them. Can I tell you, miracles happen in our house? Miracles are happening in the homes in St. Louis where people are saying, yeah, you know what? I'll open my house to disciple some people because you just can't disciple people here. This is the pulpit ministry. This is what we would call the temple. Okay. And house to house is what we would call the acts to church. And here's what we've done, guys. We have taken an experience that Jesus modeled. See, Jesus didn't just come to the earth to die because he could have died up in heaven for us and been the sacrifice. He came to earth to show you and I how to live. And you know what Jesus modeled? He was constantly with people. He was constantly pouring himself out for someone. He was in a house. He was in a boat. He was walking along a dusty road. He was always about other people. And we need to be about people. We need to care enough about people that we are about the business of Jesus Christ, which is discipleship. That's his heart. That's his heart. And see, I'm concerned that we've got people coming and we're reaching, but we're not keeping. 
Okay, they're getting saved, but then they're right back out the door. And see, we might be birthing them, but we're not converting anybody. They're not converting. They're not changing because we don't have anybody coming alongside and working along with them. And see, tonight's not so much about you knowing all the details of how to make that work. It's just you catching the vision of Jesus Christ. And then your leadership is going to take you through a process over the next couple months of the how-to. But tonight is the why. Church, why do we need to be doing this? Why do we need to be living the way that Jesus lived? We have to get so outside of ourselves that we don't mind being inconvenienced for a couple of hours to help somebody out. And I'll tell you, when you're on assignment for God in that way, and you're willing to disciple and be discipled yourself, because I'll tell you what, I'm on a journey. When I'm 95, I want to still be learning and be discipled. When I'm 95, I still want to be in somebody's house, mine or someone else's, looking at the word of God and changing. You see, we need the temple because we need the shepherd to cast the vision. And see, he's keeping an eye on everything. He's making sure that these wolves in sheep's clothing aren't coming in and taking the sheep. And he's casting the vision for the house. But see, we need the house to house to disciple. See, he can't disciple from here. See, this is preaching. This isn't discipleship. Discipleship's when you're in my home and we're breaking bread together and we're talking and we're having real conversation. We're talking about how you're talking on Facebook. We're talking about, you know, what's going on at work and how you're responding, how you're dealing with that wayward kid, how you're doing in your marriage. That's when discipleship occurs. And in the American church, here's what we've done. We've tried to smash it into one experience on Sunday morning. And that's why when we come on Sunday morning and we don't feel connected, we walk out the door and we say, yeah, I just don't really know anybody. And that's why new people say this to us. When new people come in and they don't stay and they leave, here's what they say. And they don't just say it at your church. They say it at ours too. They say it at every church. They say this, I didn't feel connected. I didn't really have any friends. Well, you know what? They bought into the system, which says, well, on Sunday morning, you're to come in the temple and you're to make friends. This is not the place to make friends. This is the place where the vision is casted, the word of God goes forth, and it's house to house where then the body comes up, we swoon in, and we invite them to our homes, and then we disciple them. See, that's where they get relationship. And see, we're trying to put it into one compact experience on Sunday morning, and the reason why we're doing it is because we really don't want to be inconvenienced. We really don't want to have to do anything else. We really want me time. We really just want to come in and come out and get it all done in an hour and a half to two hours. Can I tell you, discipleship is work. And discipleship means this, that you're on a journey with the Lord. So are you ready to be on a journey with the Lord? This is such a curious scripture. I think it's really neat because Jesus says this. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit But then look at this. So you will be my disciples. See, I always thought that a disciple bared fruit. Here's what he says. You bear fruit so that you become a disciple. See, you get out there and you start working for me and you're about my business. And that's what makes you so that you become a disciple. And so my question for you is this, and you don't have to answer it. Are you a disciple? Are you bearing fruit for the kingdom? And the way you bear fruit by this scripture is it's all about discipleship. 
you bear fruit, and it's about discipleship. Jesus says this, and I think lasting words have a lasting impression. If you've ever been at somebody's deathbed, doesn't matter what they said, good or bad, you remember it, don't you? You know, those last final words, they leave a lasting impression. And these are some of the last words of Jesus. He says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Now I want you to see, it doesn't say make Christians. It says make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me tell you the definition of a disciple. A disciple is simply this. It's a personal follower of Jesus or a student. Okay, a student. And to be a student means there must be a teacher. Here's the definition of Christian. Here's where I'm afraid most people are in the church today. A Christian is a person who has received Christian baptism or is a believer in Jesus Christ and in his teachings. See, here's the difference. The Christian believes, the disciple follows. See, the scripture says even the demons believe and tremble. Okay, but they're not out doing God's business. So I don't want to be in the category of a demon. I want to be doing God's business, and I want to be over here doing. I want to be following, and if I follow Jesus, then I follow what he did when he lived on earth. And what he did when he was on earth is he spent time with people. And, you know, most of the time recorded in the New Testament is he spent time with 12 guys. He camped out with 12 guys for about three, three and a half years, and he gave them everything that he had. And those 12 guys went forth. One, we know what happened to him. 11, one replaced. Those 12 guys went out, and they changed the world. And our entire basis of Christianity was birthed from those 12 guys who went forth. So if we want to change our world and we want to change our West Virginia, then we need to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because, see, a disciple is on assignment. A Christian just believes. And my fear today is that in the face of adversity, if we're just Christians and we're not disciples, we're not going to be ready for persecution. We're not going to be ready for the sword. We're not going to be ready when they hold the gun to our heads. We're not going to be ready, guys. And the new people certainly aren't going to be ready if we don't work with them. We need to take time with people, and we ourselves need to be making disciples. So let's talk about this assignment of yours. And I want to help you to discover what your assignment is because I want you to leave with a few things to be thinking about, a few few tools in your tool belt, if you will, tonight. And so let's talk about some clues to your assignment because each of you have a different slice of the pie. See, that's what's so great about the Lord is each of us has a different passion, right? A different interest, something that we're good at. And so here's some clues to your assignment. Number one, you will see things that other people don't see. See, a tailor could look from afar at my pants and tell you if they were sewn properly, if these are expensive pants, these are inexpensive pants, if the buttons are in the right place, if the pockets are where they're supposed to be, because, say, they have a trained eye to see things that we're not trained to see. 
See, you, when you're on assignment, you will hear things that others don't hear. See, I'm not a musician, so I think all music sounds good unless it's like really, really bad. And it's funny because our musicians sometimes will say, you know, oh man, that was awful. And I'll go, what are you talking about? I thought it was great. He's like, oh, the whole praise team was off key. I'm like, huh? And he's just looking at me like, I can't believe you didn't hear it. But see, I'm not trained to hear what he's trained to hear because I don't have his assignment. And see, when you're on assignment, you will love things that other people don't love. You'll love the unlovable. You know, you'll see that drunk with vomit all over him and you'll love him. You'll be drawn to him because see that's your assignment from the Lord. One of the ways, and I'll call this the three P's. One of the ways that you'll know your assignment is it's going to be something you're passionate about. God's not going to drag you to do something that you hate. Like, oh, bless Lord, I pray he doesn't call me to Africa to be a missionary. I can't stand to get on an airplane. Well, don't worry about it. You're not passionate about it. That's not your assignment. What is it that you enjoy doing? Is it basketball? Is it raising children? Is it singing? Is it prayer? You know, what is it? What are you naturally good at? You know, you see these kids and at five years old, they're fixing radios. You know, they're taking apart DVD players and you're like, what in the world? They show you how to work your cell phone for crying out loud. (laughs) I mean, we don't even know how to turn them on. You give it to a five-year-old, they know how to turn it on. And see, something that you're naturally good at is what God will use you to do. That will be your slice of the pie. And what's fulfilling for you. And also what, what it is that you do that bears fruit. That when you do it, fruit comes from it. So in other words, if you're a worship leader and there's not fruit coming from it and the place is dead when you sing, well, uh, you know, maybe not so much. But when you're a worship leader like Jamie is and people just within a few minutes have their hands lifted up and they're in the presence of the Lord, that's when you know someone's operating in their passion because there's fruit. The other P is problem. So you will either be called to to an assignment of discipleship in something you're passionate about or in an area that God is wanting you to correct. It's a problem in the world today. In other words, what makes you angry? You see, people have lots of different things that charge them up. What charges you up? I can tell you what charges me up is sex trafficking. Anytime that comes on the TV, I mean, that charges me up. And I know people that when it's world hunger, that charges them up. When it's the gay agenda, that charges them up. When it's abortion, that charges them up. You know, whatever it is that charges you up is the very thing that God has assigned you to correct. Because he makes you angry to correct something. Okay? So anger properly funneled can be a good thing. If you think of mad mothers against drunk driving, you had a lot of angry moms that got together and said, you know what, my kid was killed by a drunk driver and I'm mad. And so, you know, I'm going to take that anger and I'm going to do something about it and I'm going to help correct a problem. And let me tell you, the reason why we have so many laws when it comes to drunk driving is for a lot of it has to do with what those women have done. They have funneled that anger, that, that anger. What you hate, you are assigned to correct. But I like this. You can't change what you tolerate. So if you don't hate it, you're not going to change it. And I talk to pastors all the time that say this. They say a lot, like what your pastor says. They say, and they may not say the word hate, but they'll say, 
What keeps me up at night? What concerns me is that people might be getting saved, but I don't know if, if they really, really know who Jesus is. I don't know if they're being converted. I don't know if the rapture came, if they'd make it. And I don't know when they walk back out those doors, if I don't see him again, if they're really a Christian. And see, when you get a pastor like that, that's somebody that, that is assigned to change something in his or her church. That's somebody who says, you know what? It's not just going to be about numbers. And I was speaking to a couple hundred pastors in South Georgia doing a conference there. And I said this to them and, and it got eerily quiet, but I could tell it hit them because I heard the ooh after. I said, so what if you're one of the biggest and fastest growing churches in America or even in the church of God denomination? So what? What if you're still one of the biggest churches after the rapture? What if hardly anybody goes? Because you know what? You didn't do anything for real to move people to conversion. They were just Christians, but they weren't discipled. I would rather you have a church of 150 people and know that when the rapture of Jesus Christ came, that you only had 20 left than to know you had a church of 10,000 and you have 9,900 sitting on the seats the day after the rapture. That's a problem. So we aren't about numbers. We're about numbers going to be with Jesus. That's the numbers we care about. Amen. Praise the Lord. Your anger should qualify you to want to change. And you know what should make every one of us angry? What I just said. That should bother every one of us. That God, maybe I'm not doing what I'm really supposed to be doing as the church. And I'm not doing my part. Because see, the pastor does his part on Sunday. But we as the church body, we need to be doing that Acts 2 church part. Where we're about the discipleship business. I think I'm having a problem with it, brother. So if you, if you see me click, just feel free to click if it's not working. And so here's how you solve it. You become an enemy of that problem. You weaken something that Satan has strengthened. So you dead on, you, you feel like you are passionate and you're going to go head to head with p- planned parenthood. You're, you're going to stand against planned parenthood because that is the problem that you're assigned to correct. Or you will strengthen something that Satan has weakened. Maybe you're passionate about the family, about couples staying together. And you say, you know you know how I need to disciple? I need to start inviting five or six other couples over. And every week we need to get together. Christian couples, we need to just stand together. And we need to be about the family. You know, I'm going to strengthen something that Satan has weakened. And so you make it your mission to attack strongest where Satan is working hardest. And here, here's where he's working hardest church. And here's how we know where we're all assigned to be. He's working hardest on the lukewarm church. See, he doesn't care if they come in. He just wants to make sure that when they leave, they're not converted. He just wants to make sure that they don't go to the other side to God's camp. You know, he doesn't care if they play church. He just wants to make sure they're not the church. And so we should be angry about that. And we need to fill up what's lacking in God's kingdom. That's what it means to be a living epistle. Romans 8, 35 through 37 says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake, we are killed 
all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now we quote that a lot, but I want you to look at this last part. We're more than conquerors. Now that intrigued me. And I had to really think about that because see, if I'm battling something and I beat that, I'm a conqueror. If I'm struggling with alcoholism and God gets me through that season and I no longer struggle with that, I'm a, I've conquered alcohol. I'm a conqueror. You know, if I've come through a pornography addiction and God has seen me through that, I'm a conqueror. But you see, to be more than a conqueror means I have to conquer that more than one time. So here's what that means. That means I've come over here, man, and you've come through that pornography addiction. And now you say, but you know what? I, I know some guys that are dealing with the same thing. So you know, I'm going to go help these guys. And now I'm more than a conqueror because see, it's not just always about me anymore. See, I'm going to go in and I'm going to storm in and I'm going to bring some other people to freedom. See, the reason why you go through some of the things you're going through is he wants you to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to go after the very same people that are where you were. And if you've had an abortion lady and God's brought you through it, he wants you to go find those women that are broken and hurting and help them through and be more than a conqueror. You see, because you're someone who knows the way I lived in Kentucky for 12 years. And in the fall, they would take these big cornfields and they would make mazes in these fields. And we'd pay money to go get lost. You know, you pay like big, but like 10 bucks, you know, it's like, that's crazy. And you pay money and you go through these cornfields. And here's what they would always say to you before you'd go in. They'd say, if you get lost and you don't know your way out, just yell help. Because we plowed this field. We know the way. We know the way to get you out. Because we're the ones that plowed this. See, some of you, you've been trailblazers. And you didn't understand why you were going through all the stuff you were going through. And Jesus is saying, you know why? Because I got about 12 men waiting that need you to pour into them. I got some people that you didn't just blaze that trail for you. Come on now. That was too painful just to be for you. You blazed it for the 12 and the 15 behind you that Jesus is going to use you to minister to them. Amen. I like this quote by a Romanian pastor. He says, Christ's cross was for propitiation. That's kind of a complicated word, so we'll break it down. And ours is for propagation. In other words, Christ's cross was to accomplish salvation, but our cross is to spread salvation. You see? You see the difference? You see, that's what it means to go in and storm the gates of hell and to help bring people out with you. And see, so all of us have been commissioned to make disciples through our pain, through the things that bother us, that are a problem through our passion. He will use all those things and those stories to be able to pull people closer to him. See, the reason why we need to return back to the structure of the Acts 2 church so desperately. Why we need to have the temple and what I would call the house-to-house experience is because this is not a place on Sunday morning that you can share your testimonies and share your life and sit down and break bread and really get to know each other. Okay, this isn't structured for that. And so we're missing this whole component and we wonder why we're in a crowd and we're lonely. We wonder why we're Christians and we still don't have victory. See, James 5 and 16 says this, confess your sins or your faults, ye one to another, and pray for each other that you may be healed. Where are you going to do that? 
You think you're going to sit here and confess that you were looking at something on TV you weren't supposed to look at? You think you're going to confess that you had a bad thought or you said a bad word here? No, that's when we come together. And it's in those small clusters with other people that are like-minded that we can share those kinds of things. Paul says something so interesting, and I've read it a hundred times, and now I'm reading it and I'm finally getting it. He says this, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, here's what's so puzzling about it. He talks about something lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. It's like, well, I thought Jesus died once and for all. I don't understand how anything could be lacking. He's not talking about salvation because when Christ died, it was once and for all. He does not have to die again. There is no more blood that needs to be shed. It was done at the cross. It is over. But he's talking about his afflictions. He says, see, I am going through some stuff in my flesh for you. And the reason why is there's some things lacking in the church right now. And God knows that if he will choose me to walk a journey and I will be victorious, that I will be your living epistle. You see, I need to be the living epistle in 2014 for my coworkers. They might hear about Jesus, but they see me. So I'm the one that's the breathing and moving and walking Bible for those people. So some of the things that we're going through, we need to see guys that we need to be funneling this somewhere. If I had time to hear each of your testimonies, we'd be blown away. I wish I had time to hear each and every one. I wish I had an hour with each of you and you had an hour with me. You wouldn't believe what I've been through. I wouldn't believe what you've been through. And it's meant to be shared. It's meant to free people. It's meant to disciple people. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the father has put in his authority, but you will receive power. And we quote this a lot. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, the word for witnesses, that Greek word is martis, M-A-R-T-Y-S. And you know what that word means? It means martyr. Hey, that takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? Let's just read it like this. And when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you shall be my martyrs. You know what he's saying? You're going to go through some stuff in this earth. And God doesn't cause pain, but God will use pain. God doesn't cause us to go through stuff. God doesn't cause you to get cancer. God doesn't take your baby. That's not a loving God. But what God says is, you know what? You're going to go through pain just because you're human. You're going to go through it whether you're saved or not. You're on this earth. So why not go through it and then let me use it? Give it back to me and let me use it. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, he's going to give you power when you have to be a martyr for me. So don't worry about it. Finally, the last P is pain. What makes you cry? What moves you to tears is a sign of the hurt that you are called to heal. See, you were created by God to help heal hurts. There's nothing like crying on the shoulder of someone close and trusted. And God uses us to come alongside. Where you hurt the most is a clue 
to where you heal the best. See, I was abandoned by my father. I was abused by my stepfather. And I hurt for children that are hurting. And that's a place that God has used me to heal people. I'm not involved in children's ministry. I'm an adult ministry. Not everything I've gone through is always going to be the exact platform I'm there at the time. But I have helped a lot of children and a lot of women and a lot of teenagers on this journey. I love, I love Nehemiah's name because it literally means the Lord comforts. You know, he was broken for his people. He was broken for what was happening. He said, I need to go rebuild. He wanted to comfort the people and let the Lord use him. And so your pain is your platform. Pain will move you. Listen, if I light a match under you right now, I promise you will move. If I light it right under your tail, (laughs) I mean, you will be up. Pain moves you. And see, we need to be uncomfortable enough with the church of America today and say, we're going to be a different church. Our church in West Virginia is not going to be the average church. We're not just going to let people come in, sit on the seat and leave. No, no, no. No, we're going to be about the father's business. We're going to be an acts to church. We want signs and wonders to happen, not just here in the temple, but in our homes. And we're going to come alongside And that is the heartbeat of Jesus. See, pain changes you, pain launches you, and pain will cause you to usher miracles through your hands. God will use your pain to lay hands on other people and he'll heal them. He'll heal them. Amen? So we need to know that some of the things we're going through is just simply a setup from God. And he's saying, guys, it's 2014. All that stuff you've been thinking about, all that stuff you've been going through, I have a plan. And pretty soon, you're going to be commissioned on assignment at this church to live that out for the Lord. Because God's calling you to be on assignment. If you ask the citizens of Coffee County, they will tell you exactly how their pain became their platform. In the early 1900s, in, in the community of Coffee, Coffee County, Alabama... This is a community that they, they had a big uh, crop industry of cotton. They were cotton farmers. And so that was the whole industry in the town. Everybody was a cotton farmer. Everybody had land. And this particular year in the early 1900s, the bull weevil came in and destroyed all their crops, ate all their crops up. So you can imagine if that's the entire industry in the town, the town's in trouble. And so they were in turmoil. I mean, things are not looking good. And so they had to learn a new trade because this bull weevil liked to eat cotton. So they said, we're going to have to change up our game or we're going to starve to death. So they learned how to be peanut farmers. They weren't happy about it. They didn't want to be peanut farmers. They wanted to be cotton farmers. But they decided, you know what, the bull weevil, one thing we know about him is he hates peanuts. He doesn't like the taste. He doesn't like the smell. So they started planting peanuts. Do you know in the first year they were so successful planting peanuts that they made 10 times as much in the first year as they had made any year that they had cotton? And they were so grateful for that time of pain or persecution, if you will, because it moved them to do something different. So much so that they erected a statue in the center of their town that is still there today. And here's what it says. Bull Weevil Monument, December 11th, 1919, in profound appreciation of the Bull Weevil. Do you believe it? And what it has done as the herald of prosperity 
prosperity, this monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise Coffee County, Alabama. Can you see the bull weevil on the top? I mean, is that not the creepiest thing? That is in the center of their town square to this day. Because they realized that God was using some stuff they went through. And it changed them. He's changing you guys. But he's changing you to go change people. That's exactly the model of Jesus Christ. So what, what is Jesus's love language? Have any of you read the book, The Five Languages of Love? Who's read it? Yeah. And about like it, if it's gifts or it's, if it's physical touch. or you, They have a book all about, you know, your spouse's love language. Well, what's Jesus's love language? You know what it is? He told us what it is. He told us, if you love me, here's how you show me love. And here's what he said, guys. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Here's his love language. He said, then if you do, feed my lambs. Feed them. The lambs are the babies. Those are the new converts. Those are the people that don't know what we know, guys. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. He said, okay, then then tend my sheep. See, that's us. That's the body of Christ. Sometimes we need some tending. Sometimes we need to come in and cause peace because a brother and another brother having, having a moment. Or two sisters are saying something they shouldn't be saying about each other. And we need to come in and we need to help tend and we need to be peacemakers. He said, you know, help tend the sheep. You know, this isn't just about the shepherd. Peter, it's about you too. You know, Peter's like us. Peter's, Peter's what, what we would call is maybe like a church member. You know, he's saying, I want you to help tend the sheep. This, this is the body of Christ. We're doing this together. And then finally he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved by this and it's cut off. So you'll just have to trust me on this. He says the third time, feed my sheep, feed them. So see, it's not just all about feeding the the baby Christians. It's about feeding the mature ones too. You know, sometimes we're so much about the new convert that we forget the people who, who've been here 20 years, who've been really the, the backbone of the church. You know, we, those of us who've been here 20, 30, 40 years that are the backbone of the church, we need discipleship too. We need to be fed. A sheep will still die. It doesn't matter if it's 60. doesn't matter if it's a year old or 10 years old. If it doesn't have food, it'll die. It doesn't matter how long it's been a sheep. And so you, whether you're 90 or 30 or 20, you constantly need food. You constantly need feeding and tending and you need discipleship. And so my question for you tonight is this. What if we're doing a lot of good things, but we're missing what's best? What if we have a lot of good programs going on in the church and and a lot of good things in the community, but, but we're missing the best. We're missing the heart of Jesus because he just said, this is how you show me that you love me. You disciple. You know, he just commissioned all of us. And my concern is this, that we've become so focused on ourselves and even our own families. And and we should be about our families. And God's put us in position in our families as mothers or fathers or grandparents. But sometimes that's all we're doing is spending time with just me and my four and no more. Soccer practice and birthday parties and cookouts and Mother's Day and Fourth of July that we're not discipling anybody. We're just so focused on ours. And, and so what if we didn't just focus on ours and we open that up and say, you know, 
I want to start sharing life with people because Jesus, that's all he did is he just shared life with other people. And I just want to end with this, that when you really get a hold of this is when you're going to be great in the kingdom. Because here's what Jesus says. It's really cool. He says, whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And you know, the Lord showed me that about six months ago. And he said, you know who I'm talking about there? I'm talking about people at your church that open their homes every week and people come and gather and they eat together and they pray together and they share life together and they get to know about me. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about pastors and pulpits. And I'm talking about people that are turned on to the Acts 2 church and that are willing to take the assignment. So here's the question I ask you with in closing, and it's the same one I started with. It's, are you on assignment? And are you willing to take the assignment? Because every one of us that was born after Jesus Christ He said, go therefore and make disciples. So every one of us is on assignment since the time of Jesus to go make disciples for him. Will you answer the call? If you'll stand, I just want to pray over you. And I just want to pray that God is going to give you direction and that God's going to give pastor and his team direction. He wants to turn your church outside of Sunday into the Acts 2 church where signs and wonders and miracles are happening and where people are being added to the church daily and where you are changing and people are changing. See, my husband and I, we do a group in our home every Monday night. And I'll tell you, they're changing, but we're changing. I can, t- I can track my progress that my prayer life has changed. I can track my progress with the Holy Spirit that it's closer. I can track my progress with this. I can track my progress because I'm serious about discipleship. And in some ways, and this may sound strange, it forces me for two hours a week to be about his business. Because if I didn't put it on the calendar, I wouldn't do it. See, discipleship isn't personal prayer time. That's personal prayer time. Discipleship isn't Sunday morning. Discipleship's when you're getting together with other Christians and iron is sharpening iron. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you, Lord, that you saturated us in your word But God, you saturated us in your vision for the church tonight. And God, I ask you that you would mobilize this body of believers. God, in this church, that they would set this community ablaze, Lord. That they would take their marching orders and going forward, God, they would catch the vision. And that Holy Spirit, you would speak to pastor exactly how to bring this to pass in his church. That God, we would just not make Christians, but we would make disciples. That people would be converted. And right now, I thank you that you are touching each person, God. Each of them has a slice of the pie. Some of them are supposed to be ministering to widows. Some of them are supposed to be ministering to couples or to men or to children or to troubled teenagers. You've given each of them a slice of the pie when it comes to discipleship. But everyone has a slice. And God, I thank you that right now you're beginning to reveal that to them. God, even as the word went forth, they, they were thinking of some things. But God, you're going to perfect that. And I thank you that you call them. And not just that you call them, 
God, but that they answer the call. And so God, right now I ask for your blessing on them. God, as they answer the call and the assignment, I send them forth blessed. I send pastor forth blessed. God, give him double for his trouble. I thank you that multiplication is coming, not addition, but multiplication in Jesus name. God, I thank you that you're taking them to the next level. And God, we seal it together in the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of agreement in this body of believers. And we say in Jesus name, amen. Amen.